Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu, and I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Rich Edwards. He's going to talk to us about unlocking the secrets of AI, data, and customer experience for growth. We're going to talk about AI's role in growth, scaling, uh, AI's role in society. Is it going to overtake our jobs? Is it going to go rogue? And all of these questions around this new technology. And I'm happy to welcome individuals with diverse expertise in this area. So Rich, welcome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. You know, AI has really gotten the buzz these days. And, you know, it's really interesting to dissect the different themes out of it. But tell people your story, your background, and how you got started. Sure. Yeah. No, I was, uh, I'm an unlikely person to be working in this sector. Uh, I had a pretty diverse background. I was in the military for a while in the 90s, um, worked in operations uh, for a little bit, and then ended up in software. And then in right around 2013, really kind of got into AI with both feet when I was working at IBM Watson and was part of kind of starting a new offering there that was around what was called the developer cloud, which was let our customers build on top of our technology. So it was working with a lot of new and interesting use cases and getting started there. And I had had a background in, in finance, finance, financial services, banking. So that was kind of where my, my bent was. And uh, that eventually led me to uh, MindSpan Systems where I'm now the, the CEO. Um, and our angle here is really working with industries and companies that are uh, regulated, where the data that they have, the data that they work with, um, carries a lot of liability with, it, right? And it's it's often seen as more of a risk than or a liability rather than an asset. And I think one of the big things with artificial intelligence is that really changes that. Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating technology. Um, you know, I, I can't decide whether blockchain or AI is a big, you know, blockchain's really kind of made the internet three-dimensional, but AI mm -hmm. is gonna ability to scale and grow and do creative things is um quite fascinating. And um it's got so many, I mean, just using chat GPT, but um kind sure. of yeah, good uh kind of tell, I mean. You know, you you have these uh, quest, quest, AI and generative solutions like ChatGPT. How do you how how do you see it being used? How do you people seeing defend against technologies? I'm really curious. Yeah, I, I mean, like a lot of waves that kind of came before in this area. I mean, it, it, technology at its core is a new way of doing something. So there's there's a lot of things that are just going to flat out go away, right? Like there is no more market for write a boring press release. That's kind of gone. And I think what we've seen so far is an awful lot of, to overuse an analogy, a lot of hammers looking for nails, right? <laughs> from this standpoint, it, it's really cool 
not exactly sure how it's going to play out. I don't think anybody really knows how it's going to play out exactly. But there's a there's a lot of elements of accelerating and automating what people who know what they're doing, what experts are doing, and making them more productive. So you see this a lot, in, in particular, where there's a lot of writing. Uh, I've seen some very interesting use cases in, in the law and legal practices. There's There's a couple of companies that have some very impressive solutions around um, like document markup, redlining documents, uh, things like that. Um, a few things on, on the medical side, although that's not quite my area, so I'm not as deep there, but it, it's all around the, the expert, the very highly paid person, the person that has like years and years of experience. How do you take a lot of the tedium of what they're doing and make them more productive, more active, right? And the, Kind of the term I heard lately is like AI is not going to take your job. Somebody using AI, right? It's kind of like how you saw with chess, right? The, the the best chess players in the world are the ones that are kind of augmented and use computing and and artificial intelligence solutions to help them be more competitive and provide more options. Where you don't really see this broadly is. AI being used to help a lesser skilled person up-level what they're doing. So it, it, it's not taking the, the neophyte or the brand new person in the domain and creating an expert out of that. It's maybe helping them give over some initial pieces, but where you really see most of the benefit coming from is, again, making that expert, making them two, three, five, ten times as productive as they were. And I love that. And it's, um, it's quite interesting, you know, this idea. So, you know, for you know, routine automated things, you know, chat GPT is gonna or AI is just basically gonna eliminate that. And then with creative, it sounds like it's there's this Cambrian explosion. Uh, you know, I love that analogy where you use it's like a tool and basically, you know, kids growing up with the internet, they able to use social media to create businesses and you didn't have to go a traditional route. And now AI is going to be this tool. So if you don't know how to use it, you're going to be in big trouble. The other question is, um, so, you know, with more and more business moving to online and other digital channels, uh, how can businesses that traditionally relied on in-person experiences stay relevant? Yeah. So, so like the, the things that will be online that weren't before, right? And you saw a big stepwise, people have estimated anywhere between five and 10 years in the online adoption of things over COVID, right? Just the, the this kind of like artificial system shock that happened that kind of forced this adoption. And it was less a technology hurdle and more an acceptance of people. Like, I will go see my doctor online. Like, I'll do a Zoom call with my doctor, right? That was that was like a weird techie kind of early adopter thing to do before then. Now way higher adoption rate, right? So I I think the the larger embrace, the more things that are going to be enabled to be able to do over over a digital channel is going to be there. And the bigger part of that is how do you take? And this is this is something like we particularly work on, particularly with banks and financial services. We focus on community banks, like smaller credit unions and banks. And they're very much in this, how do we take this thing that we specialized on, like the in-branch, I'm your neighbor, we're really good at it, at, you know, you know, kind of doing these like risk capital, like um, real estate investments at the local level that 
big banks won't. Like that's our business because we're tied into the community. How do we take that experience and extend it to our digital channels? That is that is a big problem, particularly when you have a very long history of largely being face to face with how you do business. Um, and that's an that's an area where a lot of this can kind of come into play, because you you think about what you have and what you know about your business, what what you kind of refer to as first party data, right? The data that only you have because you know your interaction with your customers, you know things about them, how they use their service, what's going on in the in your market that you serve, things that you know that none of your competitors do, particularly none of the larger competitors and. For, for local community banks, they're thinking about the big national like Wall Street banks that they compete with sometimes, for at least for consumers. What do they know about their market that the bigger guys don't? And how can they use that to better serve their customers? And so the way that I'll frame this is, is I'll say, you know, and this is kind of how we started. For a lot of regulated industries, the two big ones being financial services and healthcare. Data is expensive, and it, it's expensive because you have a lot of it. A lot of it is unstructured, meaning it's not like tables and rows spreadsheets, right? It's it's recordings, it's images, it's plain language, natural language, text, etc. You have a liability with it. There's a regulatory um, hurdle you have to come over with how you handle it, how you use it, disclosures, etc. However, it is very, very valuable in your ability to provide services and a customer experience that your competitors can't because they don't know you or they don't know your customers the way you know your customers. So if you can leverage that, if you can use it to increase your service level, to increase the personalization that you're able to give your customers, your users, your patients, your members, et cetera, that gives you a huge advantage. And so the way I talk about it is, First-party data is only going to get more and more valuable as time goes on. And this wave of AI and new tools and new capabilities is only going to allow companies, particularly smaller companies, because there's a big democratization in the technology, it's going to allow them to be more competitive than they were before. But they have to realize that they have this incredible asset, something that they might even want to start putting on their balance sheet. They think about that it's so valuable to them, so core to what's going to provide value and, and really value to their to their customers and value to their owners or shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on three points that I wanted to ask you on. And so yeah. the first the first one was basically the use of data and AI and basically uh regulation, public sentiment, sentiment around privacy, mm-hmm. and also this idea of businesses using their data to create personalized experiences and then you have a controversial point of view ai or data use and and what is that i'm just really curious yeah 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 i I mean so one thing and again i'm kind of pointing to the regulated industries one thing where they really have an advantage is they've lived in this for the better part of 10 20 30 years depending on how you look at it um you know, we we with healthcare uh, services, healthcare technology providers, right? And even for us to kind of help them with some of their data, um, there was a very high hurdle from a HIPAA regulation standpoint, right? 
As a technology provider, you actually have to sign a special contract called a BAI that carries a lot of the the, the liability and it's it's an understanding of what you're actually doing with that, which which is all to say that there's a there's a very long history of understanding both the transparency that's required with your customers about what I'm collecting, how I store it, what I'm going to use it for, and getting your opt-in permission to do that. Um, but then also, I have a regulator that's looking at me. I'm carrying non-trivial amount of liability if, if I fail to uphold my part of it. Um, and, and you look at that trend from a regulation standpoint, um, the real bellwether on this, like where you see it leading is the um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They tend to go outside finance some, somewhat, but if you look at like all of the public statements from uh, the director, Rohit Chopra, it is very much like we need more protection. There's more things we need to do. So there's not going to be less oversight and, and regulatory stick uh, going forward. It's only going to be more, and they're only pushing for that more. So the ability to do that well and get that value, that's going to become an even bigger differentiator. Yes. So it's so, so fascinating. And, um, and basically, you know, be interesting to see, you know, the algorithms, you know, with all these data and then basically you can basically have algorithms that could kind of interpret it and discover trends, you know, they can apply it to like healthcare. It's almost like a web browser yeah. for the internet. It's kind of sure. compiling everything. And I'll, I'll just say that on, on the technology side, because like people who'd like, you know, ah, I don't get into software, I don't do all that. <laughs> The, the part to understand is the compute side, the part where the software lives, all of that, that is that is becoming more and more democratized. Like that's not going to be the differentiator, not the algorithm, not which cloud service provider you're in. None of that like technology stuff is going to be the thing that gives you the edge. It's, it's going to be the data. The data is the valuable part. There's an angle on infrastructure and no, is it Microsoft or is it Amazon or who cares? That's not your business. Your business, you need to think about the data. What are we collecting? How are we, how are we handling it? You know, to use the fancy word governance, um, which is not just compliance. It's, it's also how are we utilizing it? And then how are we, we putting that to work in a way that's compliant, transparent with our customers? but also is able to offer them a value that they can't get anywhere else and, and is really pushing the, the bounds of what we're able to do today and what we want to do in the future. Interesting. Yeah, we'll talk about basically market trends in finance and tech and what they mean to you. Um, but you have this thing where it's community FIs. I'm not really sure what, you know, it's finance, maybe financial institution. Financial institution, yeah. Because <laughs> typically you... For for size for for the 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 type of organizations we work for, there's a regulatory hurdle when you have about ten billion dollars in assets, and below that you have what are called community banks, community financial institutions, and and just from a from a regulatory standpoint and from like how they're structured, they're either going to be a chartered bank, which falls under the um, FFEIC, which is just kind of how they get done. Or they're they're a um, credit union, which there are state and and federal ones. Most of them are federal, and they come under a, a different part of the Fed called CUNA. It's a business model thing. One's a nonprofit, and one isn't. But that's that's a naming thing. That's an inside baseball. 
banks and credit unions. Yeah, oh, I see. So basically, yeah. more nimble and pivot and right, but but also more locally present. The technical definitions aside, it's it's really more their business model of we operate local. Not only do we have a local presence because big banks have local presence, but they also have the leadership is local. They're much more active in small business and local economy. And so you, you see that in how they operate. Much, much higher participation in small business, small business lending, and much, much higher uh, underwriting of a commercial real estate. You think about a lot of like the local malls and um, real estate development and housing, the vast majority of that gets done because there's a local presence from a financial institution. Our thing is, you know, we kind of say if, if community financial institutions, if they're not supported, if they're not competitive, our economy will suffer. Because if you have this like massive collapse where there's only like a couple of dozen banks and they're all in Wall Street, guess what? They really don't care about investing in your small town because <laughs> they can't be bought, right? It's yeah. too much. But when you have a much smaller financial institution that's there, that's local, that understands what's going on, that understands what those kind of like very microeconomic trends are, they're able to jump on that and they have an interest in making sure that that's viable going forward, way beyond just you know what's in the balance sheet and what's on their P&L. They're looking like much more local, much more focused, and much further long-term than you typically see big industries. So. Mm. Interesting. And what do you mean by personalization? Where is the disconnect? I'm not really clear on what that means. Oh, sure. So for, for a, and this is more broad than just, just banking, but for a, a lot of organizations, particularly like retail, where you have a lot of consumer interaction, like I said, the, the history has long been face-to-face, -face, brick and mortar, face-to-face -face mm -hmm. in there. And then the tie to the, the, the digital channel, how I'm not just how I'm going to sell to you. Do I have a Shopify store? But like how I'm going to interact with you, how I understand who you are. Little things like what's your communication preference, right? Understanding that, oh, Chris Liu, don't send him an email. He never reads his email. But man, when we have a sale on the first of the month for that, you know, bakery item that he loves, send him a text. Send him a text on Friday evening on when, when he's on his way home from work to let him know we have that thing in store and he's going to stop by and buy, right? Because not, not only do I know you or people like, like you, I know you and I know your preferences and I know how to design what I'm doing and how I interact with you to better serve you, to, to put opportunities in front of you that maybe you weren't even thinking of. And that's not just selling. It's like, actually serving your customers and doing right by them. Yeah. So I, I've just made up a situation there, right? But that would require me to have information about you, to know you and have context of who you are, when you buy, and how you want me to talk to you in a way that, that you're delighted by. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I love that. I love this conversation because it's like rich in just new ideas and you know where it can go. One thing is you mentioned uh, finance, especially finance, healthcare, hugely regulated industries. Mm -hmm. um, you've been in working in finance, so what's changed different now? Uh, what are the trends and what do they mean to you? So what, one of the things is you're seeing a lot more things that used to be done by a bank 
are done by companies that aren't banks. And the broad term is you'll say fintech or financial technology, right? The most striking one is in particular peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments, right? What used to be done via cash or, you know, we'll do via transfers or anything. Some of this, there's a, there's a regulatory piece to this that kind of came out of the 2008 recession. There was this, this legislation called the Dodd-Frank Act and that like really changed the oversight of banking and certain things, but it opened up the door companies that again weren't banks to provide banking services. And the one that you saw, the two that you saw, particularly in peer-to-peer, -peer, was uh, Venmo, which which eventually was bought by PayPal, and then Cash App, which was actually built within Square. Square, like the the dongle, take a credit card at the hot dog stand company. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was an analysis that was done by I think it was Ark Investment, and they showed, you know, the biggest retail bank in the world is at least in the U.S. is J.P. Morgan Chase, and they showed how they went on this like six trillion dollar acquisition spree spree from like 1990 to like 2015, and it was you know all of the different banks that they bought to bring together like the size that they are today. And they got to, I'm trying to remember what the numbers were, several hundred thousand accounts, right? And it might have been like low millions, right? Just the number of account holders they had and how long that took and what it was. And then they showed how quickly um, Venmo did it and how much faster Cash App did. Now, it's not dollar denominated, right? Because that's a different story. It's balance sheet. But just the, the speed at which they could acquire new customers for this new you know, customer behavior that was primarily financial transactions came out of nowhere, out of, out of whole cloth nowhere. And it was something that frankly, banks and ATMs had been providing for 50 years, right? Before that, and long before that from like a check standard. You see this acceleration of stuff that's financial services not coming from a financial service provider. And yeah. the newest one, and you're seeing it like even, even now, there's like still investments uh, in the fintech area around what's called banking as a service, which is being able to embed financial services into products. Buy now, pay later is a big one, right? Where, where you're, you're basically able to finance the purchase of whatever you're selling to your customers with a few lines of code, working with somebody like a firm or you know, another company like Klarna is another big one. Right. That, that's another example of banking services showing up embedded in, say, a CPG company or inside um, a business services company that has never provided financial services, isn't really interested in it, but they're now like adding it on as basically an incremental feature. So that's really where that's going. And it, it's it's a disruption in very much the classic sense of a lot of what banking has done. And so where is their opportunity? You know, they can't just stay still and stay static and have their business model nibbled away. It's re really being able to provide those next level of like, I'm focused on you and I'm focused on your financial health and your financial life. And I'm here not only as somebody who's going to cash checks and, and have an ATM available for you and all that, but I'm here to kind of help you meet your financial goals. Whether or not that has anything to do with investment or insurance or specific product, but I'm here to help you with that. That's not, it's really, um, you know, it's basically now, um, because 
what I think, what I, what I see is in healthcare, the most valuable healthcare companies are going to be tech companies like Apple and Amazon, because because they're the most scalable and they're able to disrupt things. Um, and then what you're talking about, what's interesting is like banking now, because you know a lot of branches are closing now. Banking is an app, so it's like uh, just a, it's just software which you were describing. You know, really fascinating. I, I will say I don't think that is ever going to go away. And, and in particular, healthcare and money, I mean, I'll just say, like, people are weird about money. It, it has this weird relationship. There's a high trust element to this, and healthcare is the same way, right? You, you know, you, you think about, like, taking a child to the doctor when they're sick, what that experience, like, the amount of emotion that's wrapped up in that experience. And I don't know that we're at or we would ever be at a way that you would want to have a very impersonal, sterile experience with that. Yeah. And could that ever be not that in a purely digital sense? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. Because again, you, you you know, you have a lot to lose and high stakes in like those type of interactions. So I, I don't see that that human element going away. Even if there's some digital intermediation to it, right? I, I don't see things like that approaching the scale of like an Apple or an Amazon, right? Where so much of it, in fact, all of it from like a customer service standpoint is completely automated, right? It's an algorithmic approach for how, how things get done. Interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, you also have to go through the bureaucracy and regulation and all of that. So um, healthcare has a long way to go. It's you know decades behind i think financial services is is slightly ahead interesting so uh i see a lot of books in your background uh what you know which books can you recommend resources and also um this idea of what to do when you're being disruptive and then finally how do people contact you and and connect with you reach oh out? sure um so let me see book recommendation i'm always i'm always good for <laughs> Yeah, I love the library. Uh, so my our company's Mindspan Systems, we're at Mindspan. Uh, you can best reach, you got any questions or follow-up or anything, you best reach me on LinkedIn. I'm there as Rich Edwards. So LinkedIn in slash Rich Edwards. I, I'll say I'll say on disruption. I mean, the 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 classic is um Innovator's Dilemma from Clayton Christensen. Um I liked the follow-up that he did called the Innovator Solution, just because it 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 had a twist on new markets, right? You have a disruptive innovation and it essentially creates a new market because there's people that weren't even buying before. And that, that's an interesting take on it. It, it. It's a heady book, but it's a, it, it's an easy read. I, re I really like that. Awesome. Yeah. The innovators, I love that book too as well. Uh, Disrupt or be disrupted. And then, um, and then how can people contact you, connect with you? Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best way. I'm I'm on Twitter and a couple other places that people yeah. help me with, but LinkedIn is is the best way to reach me. Awesome. Yeah, I love LinkedIn as well. Uh, for all the audience out there, let's thank Rich. Really, uh, I, I learned a lot. Uh, that's why I was asking so many questions. And um, all of Rich's resources will be in the links and show notes. And uh, with that, uh, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. listening if you liked it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere spotify 
iTunes, Google, and Amazon, Audible. And without much ado, be sure to thank this show's sponsors, and we'll see you next week.